Do you hate winning championships? Do you like your sports teams to either be in a perpetual state of rebuilding or just good enough to get in the playoffs and then break your heart year after year? Or, alternatively, do you just like going to the sporting events to spend the entire time walking around the fancy new stadium, oogling over the big bar and billion-dollar roof that not only won't open, but leaks while closed? If any of these symptoms describe you, then you should give being an Atlanta sports fan a chance. Atlanta's brought you superstar athletes, such as number two overall pick Marvin Williams, super utility Canadian Pete Orr, and first round pick Jamal Anderson, the defensive end, not running back. Atlanta, where disappointment is a way of life. Let's start the show. What's up, Atlanta sports fans? My name is Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports with wacky-ass hijinks and analysis. Today is Thursday, November 16th, 2017. Adam, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty well, Graham. I sure do love getting asked that question from you each and every week in the Adam Kalal studio here. In Atlanta. In Atlanta. (laughs) What's going on with you, man? Oh, not much. I uh, just got back in town after a trip to Fort Worth, Texas, for this film festival. That was a lot of fun. Um, did you pitch the podcast at all out there? I did, actually. Uh, met a couple of people who were sports fans, who are also filmmakers, like really? myself, and uh, told them a little bit about the show, so we'll see if they listen this week. Are they Atlanta sports fans? They live in Texas. So they're probably not interested in a podcast that strictly discusses Atlanta, Atlanta profession. professional sports. Probably not, but we'll see. They were drunk when they agreed to uh, listen to it, so you, know, oh, you well, got to take a drunken man's word. That, that's promising, then. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was really funny. So I left on Sunday right as the game, the Falcons-Cowboys game started. Yep. And uh, I see most of the first quarter – I see um, right until Dak Prescott scored that touchdown. That was the last thing I saw. Oh, shit. So I, I, was, I was watching the game at the, uh, the airplane bar, and I was just like, damn it. Drained the last bit of my glass of red wine because they weren't serving liquor at this bar, <laughs> and uh, hopped on my plane. Oh, that's when you had texted me asking, why are we so bad? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, and, uh, Things changed pretty soon after pretty that. Pretty fast. But I guess you were on the plane, huh? Yeah, so I uh, we were landing. I was with my mom, and I was like, uh, my phone was really low on power, so I had it off. So I was like, check check the score, and so she's looking at it. It's trying to load because we're you know like in the process of landing, and we're just like looking at the phone, and it's like twenty seven to seven. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> the last thing we were expecting. Yeah, you pretty much saw the one uh, downside of the entire game. Yeah, it's all uphill from there. Um, so that was fun. Got back, watched on DVR. Oh, and uh, nice. so I was able to see the whole thing. But yeah. it was nice watching it, uh, knowing we were going to kick ass eventually. A lot more uh, relaxing, I'm sure. Huh? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah, I was stressing out for the first, or that first quarter, oh, really yeah, the rough. first half. Yeah. And of course, we were over at Hampton and Hudson watching it, and a damn Cowboys fan walked in. Of course. And was like high fiving himself and. 
just being a goon. How about them cowboys? Yeah, I was really tempted to get up and just like question him over where he's from, why he's cheering for the cowboys. Yeah, pretty standard questions I get upset about because I'm sure he was from Atlanta. Yep. Um, I'm guessing he was also a New York Knicks fan. Uh, maybe, well, maybe probably Lakers and then Yankees. Mm-hmm. He's probably a Cubs fan and an Astros fan. Cubs fan last year, yeah. Astros fan now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And a Warriors fan this year, but he was a Cavs fan the year before. Right, yeah. right. Well, yeah, he was a Lakers fan and then switched to the Warriors, and now he's on the Cavs. But yeah. the Cavs started off pretty bad, so now he's back to the Warriors. Yeah, it's fair. So that all makes sense, right? Yeah, no, totally. So we got a really packed show for y'all today. We're going to do Falcons recap, Falcons preview like we normally do. We're going to talk about the Braves signing a uh, new general manager, Alex Anthopoulos. Yeah, we finally have some news on the Braves. Um, and then I imagine we will talk about our beleaguered Atlanta Hawks. They're currently up almost 30 points. On the Kings. About to get their third one of the season. My bet's looking pretty good. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's start off with the Falcons. Um, as you mentioned, watching that first quarter, we started to see a lot of the same shit that we see normally, right? We saw, you know, us shooting ourselves in the foot. Vic Beasley jumped on, um, you know, a play that would have been a pick. Yeah, that, I mean, that has happened so many damn times. Yeah, um, that Trufant had, but then that got called back. And then um, later, of course, we turned the ball over on a dropped pass. It seems like I think that's the sixth time that's happened to Matt this year. I think only... He's had eight interceptions, I believe. Six of them, I think, have been drop passes. Yeah. yeah. He's had a lot of bad luck. And so then after that, Prescott scores a rushing touchdown. They go up 7 nothing. You're just like, oh, God, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Then it all just seemed to turn around. Oh, by the way, did you see the stadium erupt after that Prescott touchdown? I couldn't hear anything. I was at the, that was, that was at the, uh, the airport. So. Well, it was all, all Cowboys fans in there. Seemed like there's there some Falcons fans, from what I can tell. It's like 50 50. That should never be a yeah, shouldn't. a ratio at a home at stadium. A home, yeah. That's how many people sell their tickets online. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, from there, it seemed like we just really took over the game. We really couldn't get the run game going too much. But it, I think there's a pivotal moment where Matt was getting hit a little bit. And um, he got really mad and started cursing people out. I know he was he was getting pissed on the sidelines after the, the Sanu interception, and then I saw him like really get leveled, and he was just yelling at the offensive line like, you know, fucking protect me for Christ's sake, do better. Yeah, and from then on out, we looked pretty damn good. We lost uh, Devontae Freeman, uh, which which wasn't good, but you know, Tevin Coleman came in, and I thought did a really nice job, particularly in the second half. Yeah, I mean, Tevin could definitely. So it sounds like we we're gonna lose. Devonte for at least a few weeks. Yeah, uh, second concussion of the year, like the second in four months. Yeah, he was out for most of the preseason, and now this happened. Yeah, so that's not good at all. And Tevin, I think, can definitely step in and uh, do a serviceable job. But I mean, he's, I still don't think he's Devonte, and really that one-two punch is what made our running game so lethal last year. So now we'll get to see Tevin for the first time, really, since I think maybe 2015, get a chance to be the lead back for a couple of weeks anyways and see how he does. It's kind of funny, too. It's a little bit of poetry in motion. I think the situation's you know a lot different then, but if you remember when Coleman was drafted, he was he was the starter, declared the starter. Oh, yeah. Out of uh, out of camp, and then I think he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And then, like the first game? Yeah, and then Freeman 
took over and then had a breakout season. So yep. who knows if it's history repeating, but and you know doing a little vice versa on us. Yeah, they're definitely very different runners, though. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed by, um, you know, Matt looked good, 22 of 29, didn't have to throw the ball too much. You know, it was nice to see a running back. You know, we ran the ball 34 times overall, but it was really nice to see the lead back at 20, 20 touches in Tevin. Um, I thought Sark did a decent job. I was just going to say. Um, there's a little more deception. It was really funny. I was watching one play, I think, in the second quarter. It was one of Matt's, Matt's few overthrows. But it was one of those uh, formations where it's like Matt brought Hooper in motion. It looked like he was a clear, like he was bringing him in motion to um, for run protection. And I was like, God damn, this is so clear. Like, look at this. Like, one receiver up there. It's like everybody's on the line. And then they did a play action and threw it deep to Marvin Hall. It was just a little overthrown. But yeah. I was like, I there's a little bit of trickery going on there. Isn't that? He got you anyways, huh? Yeah, no, I, I thought clear. I was like, this is obviously a run formation. I mean, this is as plain as day. Yeah. And so it was good to see a little bit of that. And, you know, getting Taylor Gabriel involved, I thought was really important. He only had three catches, but, I mean, he was averaging almost 20 yards per, he per look, catch. He looked like the Taylor Gabriel of last year, for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. Hooper definitely picked it up, uh, got a touchdown. Um, no drops. No drops. Julio. Um only had six catches, but each catch was huge. It was like he was catching balls in double traffic or making that one catch he had where he fell out of bounds. Um, I think it was like a 15, 20-yard pass, and he made this catch, and then it was like at his fingertips, and he was able to corral it in. And uh, so he looked he looked good. Um, you know, Overall, I thought it was a really solid effort by the offense. Yeah, that's what I love seeing uh, looking at the receiving line here. Seven different guys with catches. Mm-hmm. Like that's some shit we did I, last year. I, yeah, I still want to get. I really hope that we're able to get the running backs more involved in the passing game. Because once again, I think especially with Coleman, that's where you got to utilize him when he's most effective. Um, that's still missing to me, but it was still nice to see us mix it up a little bit, have a good run pass balance. Um, that really helped to uh, preserve that victory. But I think uh, we would be remiss without mentioning Adrian freaking Claiborne. Oh going out there having the game of his life with six sacks. And that was the best part, too, right? When I got off the plane, we already knew the score. And they had TVs everywhere, had the game on. And so I walk up to the screen, and it's like, Adrian Claiborne, five sacks. I'm like, holy yeah, shit. And yeah. then right when the next play happened, it was that last strip sack of uh, Dak. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, he was, no way. <laughs> he was just all over the place. I didn't realize it until the same time, once he got his fifth, I was like, man, I feel like I've been seeing this guy all over the field the entire day. And... Sure enough, he was out there setting records. Well, it was funny, too, because a lot of people have made a uh, big hoopla, if you will, over the Cowboys not having some key contributors here. They didn't have Zeke Elliott. Thank God. Um, They didn't have him because the suspension was finally upheld. They didn't have their uh, left tackle. And so he was replaced by, uh, who's an all-pro, he was replaced by this guy, Chaz Green. Yeah, poor bastard. And uh, he just looked terrible. It was like he was playing patty cake and just... Yeah. caressing a breast was his form of pass protection. Have we looked to see if he's been cut yet? Uh, we have not. But even when they took him out, the next guy that came in yeah, he still g- gave up that last sack. Yeah. So, I mean, Claiborne was just a man on a mission. And we we did what, what good teams do in, in the sense that when you have a clear advantage you ex- and, and someone's got you know something you can exploit, you do that and you execute. That's exactly what Adrian Claiborne did on Sunday. Yeah, it's great to see. He was kind of the man forgotten this offseason. 
Um, but he immediately jumps to the top of the uh, NFL sack list. I think he's number four just from that game, basically. Yeah, he's got eight sacks on the season yeah. now. Um, we were really able to keep Dak quiet. Um, threw for 176 yards, but we sacked him eight times. Um, the running game didn't do much with the exception of that like opening drive in the third quarter when they really went like triple tight end and we were just running all over us. Mm-hmm. Um, seemed like we really, you know, the defense did its job and really contained the offense. I mean, they really shut down Des Bryant. It seemed like really after that first drive, it was just we were just in lockdown mode, minus that one drive in the third quarter. But even then, they didn't get any points off of it. Yeah, so. the, the seven points they did score came off that interception. Yeah, when they had great field position, they yeah. started at like our twenty-five or something. Yeah. So uh, yeah, when's the last time we've seen our defense hold someone to seven points? That's pretty phenomenal to yeah, see. No, for sure. And um, and so to anyone who's who's saying like, oh, we didn't, ha-, and I know Sean Lee also went out of the game for the Cowboys, yes. a middle linebacker. Your, your boy Skip Bayless was freaking out over that one. No, was he? It's like I just knew as soon as Sean Lee was out of the game, we were done, done. It's just a different team without Sean Lee out there. Oh, it is. But I mean, like you know, injuries are part of the game. It's definitely. Yeah, we lost Devontae Freeman in the first quarter. You don't hear us bitching about it. Sorry yeah. that we have a serviceable, uh, you know, a more than serviceable backup running back, and y'all don't. So, hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I don't, and that's the thing too. It's like good teams are able to get over losing key pieces. You know, Patriots didn't have Rob Gronkowski last year in the Super Bowl. They beat our ass. You know, you go down the list, and I believe they call that next man up. Yes, next man up, if you will, and. um so people making excuses for the Cowboys can screw off in my mind. I mean, yeah, they were down some key players, and yeah, if Zeke's in the game, it, it's probably a different game. But guess what? He wasn't. We took care of business. We did what a good team's supposed to do. I'm still not going to go nuts and say we're back or anything like that. But it was a it was a damn good showing. Um, but moving forward now, when you're going to Seattle, this is really I think the game we'll figure out what we're going to be this year. Are we, have we turned a corner or was this just a decent performance against a, an, an undermanned football team? And we get an undermanned football team in Seattle as well. Oh yeah. We totally, um, Richard Sherman being out. Totally lucked out. Yeah. Sherman, I think ruptured or tore his Achilles in that Thursday night game against the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cliff Averill is out. Uh, they're stud defensive end. Uh, they still have Chancellor, Cam Chancellor. They're, um, they're great safety. They just picked up uh, my boy, Byron Maxwell. Yeah, they picked up Byron Maxwell. They've also picked up uh, former Falcon, Dwight Freeney. He's now on their team. So he's going to get three sacks this game, is he what already, you're saying? He already has three sacks. No way. Yeah. Three sacks? Yeah, three, three sacks in three games. So That's wild. So yeah, when you're talking about the Seahawks, you're talking about a team that is offensively entirely reliant on Russell Wilson. Uh, he's also their lead runner. Uh, he leads the team in rushing attempts. And yards at 290. Your next um, four guys, really, you got some dude named Chris Carson, who's their leading rush for 208 yards. You don't know Chris Carson? I do not. Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls have barely 120 yards. And then J.D. McKissick, who they thought was going to be a real weapon, only has 92 yards. So, I mean, they are not getting a lot of uh, production from their, from their ground game. Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls only average 2.2. Six and two point seven yards respectively per carry, so this is a great opportunity for us to really force Russell Wilson to try and beat us. Unfortunately, he has been playing exceptionally well this year when it comes to throwing the football. He's already got nineteen touchdown passes and 
He's thrown for over 2,500 yards. So, I mean, he's been doing it all. And it's really going to come down to our defense trying to contain him um, because offensively they're very one-dimensional. Russell's going to do everything. Unfortunately, he's multifaceted and can run him and, and uh, throw the football. So, Yeah, luckily we got this uh, top 10 defense out there now. So that's the big difference between this year's team and last year's team is going into a uh, hostile place like, what, what do we decide? It was the 12th man. I think you called it the 16th man last I, I know what week. I called it, yeah. so that's not correct? <laughs> that's not correct. You're sticking with 12? Yeah. Okay. With the refs, the refs don't count as men out there? No, they don't. Sorry. Okay. That was my confusion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dealing with the 12th man, a stout defense is the way you want to do that versus uh, having to rely on your offense 100% of the way. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how we attack their defense, um, especially with all the weapons they have there. So... I mean, this this is really the make-or-break game, I think, for us. Um, Almost every game. Every make, game from here on now is yeah, make-or-break. We've put ourselves in a hole. We have a very precarious position. Those two games that we lost to the Dolphins and the Bills loom large right now. Those look so much worse now, seeing our uh, NFC divisional foes just rolling over the Dolphins yeah, and the Bills this Panthers past week. Yeah, destroyed them. Yeah. And the, and the Saints destroyed the Bills. I mean, they were, they were blowouts. I was trying to justify it earlier with, like, oh, the Bills are a decent little team, and... You know, Jay Cutler's good. Ugh. Yeah. I think it's an appropriate time to start to be on schedule watch with our divisional foes and potential wild card foes. Um, I think especially with the division, you start to wonder if it's starting to get out of reach with how hot the Saints have been. Yeah, it really pisses me off that the Saints are good. Like, that was not supposed to happen. No, they're supposed to be 7-9. Seven 7-9. Nine. Nine. Yeah. They've already won seven games. 7-9. It's still possible. It's Ooh, still the, how great how, would that uh, be? That would be beautiful. That would be... Amazing. They are solid, though, man. Like, with this rushing game they got going. Yeah, it's scary. They rushed for 300 yards this past week. Yeah, I mean, Drew Brees didn't have to do anything. Yeah. I mean, and that happened, I think, last week, too. He only threw for, like, 199 yards or something. Yeah, it's a very different team than uh, we're used to seeing. Once they got rid of AP, it was, like, lights out. Um, And they've won the majority of their games by double digits. They're not just squeaking by folks. Um. Their upcoming schedule is is all right, you know, um, in terms of what we need. We got Washington, the Rams. It's a win. Um, oh, against Washington. Yeah, yeah. The Rams are actually really good this year, so that's that's something. Oh, Rams. Yeah, yeah. The Panthers, us could go either way. The Jets, yeah. us again, and then Tampa Bay. So maybe four losses, best case scenario there. Yeah, probably. So you got assured wins against Tampa Bay, the Jets, and probably the Redskins. So it's going to be tough for us to sweep them. We're probably going to split with them, I would imagine. Hopefully, um, yeah, that's not even a guarantee. They're they're another they're on another level this year, and their defense isn't nearly as bad as I think people thought they were going to be. So yeah, they've um, got some rookies that have been really turned that unit around for the first time in my lifetime. Yeah, for sure. And then you got um, the Panthers. They have the Jets. Easy win. Saints, tough game. Minnesota, tough game. Green Bay's no pushover, even though they've lost Rodgers. They're still competing. Tampa Bay, and then they end the season against the Falcons at the Great Anus. We're only one back of the Panthers, though, right? I think we're two because they've won seven. We've only won five. We're one and a half games behind them. So uh, we're probably looking at a wild card. We're probably looking at a wild card. 
which is Seattle is the one ahead of us right now. Yeah, so it's imperative that we win that game. And we, we've got tiebreakers now over the Lions, who are in the hunt. Packers. And the Packers and Dallas. Yeah. So if we beat Seattle. That's huge. Yeah. Because we're probably looking at, if, if things hold strong, and they might not, but I mean, in, in terms of if, if people hold serve is what I'm trying to say, we're probably looking at that, uh, that sixth overall spot at this point. Because you got to imagine one of these teams, the NFC South, other than us, is probably going to get away. Someone's going to collapse. I think someone's going to collapse. I hope you're right. The Rams, they, 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 they've had an easy schedule so far. Yeah. I mean, they've been dominating, mm-hmm. but um, they've got to prove themselves over the next five, six weeks as well. So, I yeah. mean, there's a lot of football to be played. Going. Oh, for sure. But our, our schedule is. We can't say it because we're, I mean, we've dug this hole for ourselves, so we just have to win now. Yeah, there's no, there's no option. We got Seattle, Tampa Bay, Minnesota. The Saints, Tampa Bay, the Saints, Carolina. Um, mostly division games. The only easy games you can say there are on the schedule are against Tampa Bay. And even then, it's a divisional they're opponent. Not, you never yeah, know what's going to happen. They're not pushovers. They're not going to lay down when they play us, you know, that much. Even Especially they, since their season's gone and they have a chance to ruin ours. Yeah. And, and you know what I love is that Tampa Bay, every year, everyone says they're going to win the NFC South. This is their year. Tampa Bay has done all these things in the offseason, and they always suck. I, I saw this. I watched Hard Knocks. I was like, man, these guys look loaded. They got so much Sha- for that. Sean Jackson coming in on the other side of Mike Evans. Mike Smith is defensive coordinator. Mike Smith, he was our old coach, and we wrote one with him. So as a defensive coordinator, who knows? Jameis looks like a leader. You can't stay healthy. Can't stay healthy. Um, so, yeah, he's hurt now, too. Yeah. So it's going to be a hell of a finish. I mean, we got uh, seven games left. And all of them are against quality opponents outside of Tampa Bay. So we got five really hard games moving forward. So, I mean. Buckle up. Buckle up, buckaroos. Um, <laughs> you got anything else Falcons-wise you want to you wanna touch on at all? Uh, yeah, so going back to our running dap, running dacks, running back depth for a second. Going back. Going back to our running backs for a second. Um, so we know Devontae is out at least two to three weeks, as I yep. said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so behind him, behind Coleman, we have Teron Ward, serviceable little third-string quarterback. I mean, good Lord, Adam. <laughs> Put down the beer. Going back right. to our running back. Going back to our running back depth. With Devontae being out at least two to three weeks, if not the year, depending on how things go, they don't mess around with these concussions anymore. But we've got Coleman, who we know can step in, Teron Ward, who's a solid little running back, uh, but Brian Hill, who was the guy we were all excited about, who got drafted in the fifth round, I believe. Uh, he got picked up today off of our practice squad, so he is no longer with us, which kind of sucks. So, I mean, if anything happens to Tevin at this point. It's Teron Ward's show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is scary. Yeah. Because he looks good in the preseason, but, you know, regular season's a completely different animal. Yeah. Like I said, serviceable, but. Yeah. He's not who you want back there. No. On a consistent basis. Mediocre. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, that we can really exploit the Seahawks in the secondary now that uh, Sherman's out, that Julio can be utilized not only as a you know, as a distraction, but also we can really feed him the rock. Yep. Hopefully get him, like, ten receptions, have him really go nuts. There won't be any Richard Sherman to uh, 
get blatant pass interference, but still win the game somehow for the Seahawks this week. Mm. So, yeah. Let's get vertical, Graham. Yeah, I think we need to take some shots. I think we really got to come out. We can't let the Seattle crowd into the game. We got to take them out of the game as fast as possible. And we got to do whatever we can to contain Russell. And that's going to that's gonna be really, uh, really important there. Easier said than done with his talent. But um, that's it, man. If we, if we can shut him down and make him one-dimensional and keep him in the pocket, got a chance. Oh, you know what else we didn't mention? Your boy Poe, who we were calling out this past week. Got his first sack. Got his first sack and was the lead blocker on Tevin Coleman's touchdown. I liked seeing that, honestly, especially in a short yardage situation with a back who isn't the best short yardage back. Yep. Totally fine with that. I think let's let's keep doing that. Yeah, he did that in Kansas City a lot. So yeah, he even caught passes as well. So I mean, like, if we can use him, I like him more in run blocking situations too. I mean, I think like you know, you're on the goal line, you really need a big push, throw him back there. I think mm-hmm. it's great. Yep. Um, and here's hoping too that Sark keeps uh, keeps ramping up the trickery a little bit more in terms of um, bootleg and play action things like that, just because you can't. Um, you know, if you go really straight forward against the Seattle defense, they're too smart for that. They're a lot better than the uh, the Cowboys, obviously. So we need to see more of that. But, I mean, this is it. This is a huge game. We lose this game, we're probably done. We've got to pretty much – we can lose, like, two more games maybe. Yeah, max. Yeah, and this is one game we can't lose because it's against a team that's competing for a wild card spot like we are. Indeed. So, um, moving on? Yeah, moving on to the Braves. So the Braves have hired a new GM, Alex Anthopoulos who is not only the general manager, but the executive vice president of baseball operations, meaning that John Hart has been kicked out. He's now a senior advisor or something, which pretty much means you do nothing and get paid for it. Why do I have so many senior advisors? Uh, it's probably just like a legacy thing. But he's only been with us for like four years. I agree. I don't think... I think... He, he honestly, it. I don't know why we're keeping him on at all since we're still under investigation by Major League Baseball for these sanctions, and it happened under his watch as president of baseball operations. I think he should be removed I guess from the con- Braves. Or- contract? I don't know. I think he should be removed from the Braves organization. Yeah. Anywho, the, the good yeah, news, the, though. The good news is, is that Amphopolis is here. He uh, was instrumental in building the Toronto Blue Jays into the contender they became um, in 2015 when they made that ALCS run. And a lot of, and he left the team after 2015. But the Blue Jays, I think, again went to the ALCS the next year in 2016. So you know he knew how to build a club and um, made some good moves. And um, started with the Expos. Then he went to the Dodgers after the uh, 2015 season. I think was vice president of baseball operations there. Uh, contributed to that team a lot, and they just went to the World Series. Well, he only left the Blue Jays because they brought in somebody new into the front office uh, yeah. that he just didn't agree with. They wanted him to stay on for another five years. Yeah, he but... was offered a five-year deal, I think, and paid like $10 million or something. He was just like, eh, I'd rather do things my way uh, and, and not be put in an uncomfortable work position. So you got to respect that he was uh, you know, willing to take a bet on himself when he could have just taken the easy job even though he didn't want it. So this is a guy who's not going to settle. Um, and another thing I've heard about him is that he is uh, very collaborative, which you can't really say uh, the same thing about our last two general managers who are very um, – yeah, definitely a uh, my way or the highway kind of uh, front office ever since Frank Wren took over. And it's been a total autocracy with Wren and with uh, Copy. And so now you're getting guys who um, 
So now you're getting a guy who is said to work very well with scouts, really empower them to feel like they are valued and make them go the extra mile to find the players that, you know, they're looking for. And it sounds like he really wants to create a, a team environment within the front office, which is which is great. So I have no issue with that. And that's the way John Sherholtz built the Braves up. So I'm, I'm fine with that approach. Obviously, but, I'm not but trying it, to compare Anthopoulos yeah, to Sherholtz, but I'm just saying a better work environment creates better results. Oh, yeah? Certainly. Sure. Uh, it's also going outside of the box and the fact that this is another one of these young guys. And he's a stats guy, Graham. Mm-hmm. It's what you wanted. And I'm, I'm glad we went this route as opposed to one of the old, uh, the old guys that's kind of been out there and continuing to do things, quote-unquote, the Braves way that hasn't really been successful since the mid-'90s. So we've kind of right. moved away from the Braves way and need a fresh approach. And uh, honestly, this I think this is better than getting Dayton Moore, which is I what agree. we wanted. But Dayton Moore kind of probably would have been a lot of the same old, same old. Well, he's, he's, he's from the – I like it too because I think there have been a lot of long-time, long-time Braves fans who have – you know, who love – Cox and Sherholtz and respect the hell out of them, but they're like, we need a new voice. We need a new direction. Uh, you know, it's kind of like when a television series stays on the air for too long. It's kind of like The Simpsons, you know. It's great in its heyday, but it's kind of time to right. kind of time to move on. Get something, somebody fresh in Yeah, there. we need some fresh blood. This guy's had a lot of success recently. He's a hot commodity. He was not on my radar in terms of potential replacements. And so I think for uh, kudos to Terry McGurk um, and Liberty Media for making the decision to make a hire that doesn't seem like a safe bet that seems like, you know, someone, you know, when I say safe, I mean just bringing in an old Braves hand like a Dayton Moore, but bringing in someone who can really shake up the organization, which I think is exactly what we need coming off this scandal. Yeah, this guy's certainly not afraid to uh, wheel and deal. Made some big deals in, with the Blue Jays, the the huge one with the Marlins where the, he brought in like Burley and uh, Tulewitzki. It was like a five for two swap and – Mm-hmm. Bringing in David Price, you also got Donaldson, Donaldson, and you got to think too with you know the supposed new flush of income that we got with uh, SunTrust Park, and with you know us continuing to clear up uh, a space hopefully in the in the winter that we are going to start having money to be able to make these kinds of deals when we need to, or sign a big free agent when we need to if we. You know, hopefully he's not 31 years old and an aging center fielder like some people. <laughs> yeah, I do have to say, I hope he doesn't do anything drastic immediately. Yeah, he needs to you know get his feet do some, wet, do some tweaking. Yeah, get rid of Kemp or Marquez. We, we all two. we all know that we're not going to win anything this year. Yep, but just do a little tweaking. Get us some bullpen arms in here. Bring back Peter Moylan. Bring back Mike Miner. <laughs> oh yeah. No, seriously. I heard I heard Peter Moylan's on our radar. Has he? When was the last time he pitched? He's he was a stud with this past year. He pitched oh, really? like 70, 70 games. No shit. Both him and Miner were studs. Wow, I didn't realize this. Yeah, no, okay. th- those were legitimate. Um, if I like Pete Orr, like that's not legitimate, but Miner and yeah, Moylan killed it. But yeah, just do a little tweaking right now. Get your feet wet. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and I think um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. And I'm hoping this time next year is when we can really turn this into a contender, get more seasoning for these young guys. Um, hopefully we've figured out our outfield situation, our third base situation. We know Ronald Acuna has been, is ready to go. He's tearing up, tearing up the Arizona Fall League. Austin Riley's close at Austin third base. Austin Riley's close. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's see what happens. And I, I think this is the first time in a long time that 
Braves fans should be a little excited uh, about what's to come with this new general manager. Until the hammer gets dropped early next week about what these sanctions are. Yeah, yeah. and then we can be depressed when we lose Kevin Mighton. Yeah. Though this will be good. We'll have something else to talk about next week, though, because they are saying before Thanksgiving we should know. We shouldn't hear something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm guessing Mighton. He's gone. He's probably gone. In fairness, we never knew him. No, we just knew potential. I'm sure he's going to be picked up by the uh, Phillies and lead them back to a resurgence, and they're going to win a World Series. Ugh. Nothing would make me sicker than that. So I like to play y'all a clip from uh, an episode, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. It was our Hawks preview episode. So it might have been a little longer than that. Um, I'll let you hear a uh, proclamation by Adam in terms of what he would like to do with an $1,000 bet or maybe $10,000 bet related to your Atlanta Hawks. Ooh, uh, so I've, I've never been one to bet on sports like I know you are. Mm-hmm. But I almost threw down a lot of money on the Hawks over under for the year. What's that? 25 and a half. 25 wins? Wins. Like I was going to put down like a grand or something like that. They're going to win more than 25 games. That would be really interesting to watch. You should do that. You should do that. Yes. Like I said, I'm not one to ever bet. Already, I, I feel like that's won. an easy bet. So I'm going to f- fast forward like five months. When the Hawks win their twenty fifth game, right right now they they're winning by like forty points against currently. the Kings. Against the Kings, they're a young team. When you watch them, you can just tell this is not like a ten win team. I still stick to that. Yeah, they've gotten off to a little of a rough start, but it's only November. It's a little too early to be shitting on me for that prediction so far. Uh, I don't think so. You got three wins and um, a little over like. I don't know, three or four weeks. So that's like... How many games do they have left to play? Like it probably had 67? Something like that. Or maybe... So they need to go like 23 and... What, 42? Something like that. Something like that, no. That's doable. You think so? It's We'll see. It's not... Yeah, it's not looking great. No. It's a little too early to completely shut I just loved that. all the optimism, though, and then... What what else do we have except optimism, Graham? And in fairness, it's pretty low optimism. All I was saying was 25 wins. You said over, so you need to get 26. Yeah. I probably also said something along the lines of pushing for an eighth seed. I know, that would be I, funny. I, I know you probably I, said that. Yeah. I know I said that as well. <laughs> I think you did, yeah. Yeah, I've squawked Classic. about that a lot. Although you never know with the East, how shitty it is every year. Yeah. But uh, yeah, not much else going on with the Hawks. They win their third game tonight, so... We'll continue uh, Adam's gambling watch next week to see where we're at, what we're on pace for. We'll do a little more research for that. We probably <laughs> won't. Um, nothing else really going on in the world of Atlanta sports. I will say the last thing we should mention is the Georgia Dome is about to be imploded, I believe, this week or next week. It's coming up yeah, really I think soon. It's, I think it's Monday. Yeah, I think it's you're Monday right. at it's like Monday. 7. Yeah. But they're like closing it off. Like You can't get close to it at all, which is very unfair. Would you like to watch it be destroyed? I would watch it. I don't know if I can handle it. It'd be like losing a childhood friend. Yeah, it's kind of sad. We just tweeted at the Georgia Dome tonight to see if they want to come on our podcast. Because it's funny if if you probably don't follow Georgia Dome on Facebook or Twitter, <laughs> but whoever owns that uh, account always tweets in first person. So it's like, I'm getting ready to be imploded on whatever date or... 
I remember when it was uh, they did the last event. I think it was like some off-roading thing or a wrestling event or something. This is it's like this is my last event before I'm blown up. <laughs> so it's like I don't know. Poor Georgia. Dome. Poor Georgia. That Dome. makes it sadder. I know. It's like before I'm blown up. It's like ah, you poor bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a bad way to go, especially know. knowing it's coming. Every time I, you know, you see a game and they show the outside of the Great Anus and you see the poor Georgia Dome sitting next to it, the abandoned, still perfectly fine stadium. I tell you what, though, no opponents are scared of the Great Anus right now. People were scared to go into the Georgia Dome. Yeah. Well, just think, like, I was thinking, there's, with all the nice concessions that they have in the Great Anus, like, you're going to, like, walk around and blah, 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 blah. But remember, every time we'd go to Falcons games at the Georgia Dome, you would just sprint out into the concourse, get your Papa John single, and sprint right back out immediately. Oh, for sure. Because there's nothing else to do. Yeah, exactly. It was just about going to the game. Yeah. And this is what's problem. This is what's problem. This is what the problem is with today's America. You're trying to create an experience, which can be fine. It's just like it takes away from the actual experience of watching your team, which is why you're showing up the damn game to begin with. Everyone's worried about their Wi-Fi and their Twitter. And and going to some 100-yard bar, which is cool, but being like, oh, look at the bar. There's a fucking football game going on behind you. There's bars everywhere. Yeah. It's um, or looking at the the Halo Dome or whatever, taking selfies, taking pictures, posting them on Snapchats, your Facebooks, your Twitter, all this social media shit is the ruination of America. You should be watching the offensive line to see how Ryan Schrader is doing, or Wes Schweitzer, more importantly, Schweitzer or our fullback Coleman. Yeah, look at Derek Coleman. Is he doing? Is he is he getting his man in pass protection and in the run blocking scheme? You got to learn. The ins and outs. What is? How's the defense lined up? Are they lined up in a nickel package, four three dime quarter? How's that compare with our two wide receiver set? I don't want to go yet. I'm not ready. That doesn't sound like it. I'm, I've still missed my friend, the Georgia Dome. Like I said, I like this stadium. It's very nice, but <clears throat> I just wish people would sit in their seats. Concern yourself with how, whether or not Dan Quinn is still as bald as can be. Right. Exactly. Don't worry about your two dollar hot dogs. These are the important things. Yeah. Although I do support $2 hot dogs. Oh, yeah, that's fine, but it's like, you know. Get it and get back to your seat. Exactly. Don't fuck around. I remember at halftime at the uh, when I went to the Seattle playoff game at halftime, I got a drink at a, at a bar. I grabbed the drink. I ran back to my seat so I didn't miss anything. Oh. I didn't just walk around and gawk at shit. I came here to watch a fucking football game. As you should, bro. Yeah. Get in your seats, Atlanta, and I'll join you there. Probably, um, we we'll try to go to the Vikings game. We we'll try to get tickets this week and go to the Vikings game. We probably just lost half our users with that rant. Now they realize we're just a bunch of crotchety old men. We're the anti millennial millennials. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that wraps up our show today. Um, thank you, as always, for making us part of your day or evening. Rise up, stay in brotherhood, and be true to Atlanta. Hospitality soap. And stay in your seats. And stay in your seats. Hospitality soap. Hospitality soap.